can turn with me to John chapter 20. But since we're already in John, we're going to look at uh, another portion of Scripture in John chapter 10. Actually, it's John chapter 11, verse 25. While meditating on Easter this coming year and seeking the Lord, you know, up to this point, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you have for us as a church? What do you what do you want to speak to us, you know, through this? Because we, we've, we've gone through the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus many times, right? We do at least once a year, possibly more. And, and we know that, that God has something special for us each time we gather together in his name. Lord, what do you have for us today? And the thing that the Lord brought to the forefront for me over and over again is life. Because without life, what benefit is the resurrection, right? Like you get resurrected from the dead to be alive. And it's not just life in general, it's, it's abundant life. That's the focus for us in understanding what the resurrection is and means for us and how we should apply it to our lives. When you think of life, what do you think of? You think of little flowers, all the churches have flowers except for us. We don't like flowers. Little grass, you know, it's life. It's coming out of the seed. It's life. But for some reason, the Lord kept impressing on my heart this year. We're not talking about the beginning of life. We're talking about the endurance of life. We're talking about longevity. We're talking about long, eternal, abundant life that starts now. You know, two of the oldest uh, organisms on planet Earth are in California. No jokes, okay? Just a factual statement. The sequoias and the redwoods are some of the oldest living trees in the world. In fact, General Sherman, which is, you know, in California, is estimated to be about 2,000 years old. That makes it only a middle-aged giant sequoia as other trees are believed to be more than 3,220 years old based on ring counts. These trees are so hardy and their bark is so thick that even if a forest fire comes through, they cannot, they cannot be killed. Is that incredible? That's life. That's the, the, the magnitude of the life that God wants us to have, the life that he wants us to understand. It's not fleeting life, it's enduring life, it's eternal life. One of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible, you guys know I've referenced it frequently, is also in John chapter 17, if you were at 10. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Verse three is the key. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Life. Life begins when you start to understand and enter into a relationship with God. That's why I love baptism. Because as you're bapt being baptized or baptizing somebody, they're going down into a watery grave and they're being raised to life, resurrected. The old things are dead. And at that point, that's a symbolic gesture. At the point that you enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that's when true life begins. John 17, 3. 
That's when true life begins. And maybe there's things in life that are difficult that you're going through right now that are difficult. I want to tell you that we go through trials and tribulations. We go through difficulty. But if God doesn't want the sparrows to worry about what their next meal is going to come from or what's going to happen with them, he doesn't want you to. He wants you to experience enduring life in him. So let's flip over to John chapter 20, and we will open in prayer. God, thank you for life. Thank you for life abundantly. Thank you for saving us from our wretchedness and that there's going to come a point in time that that we may fall asleep, but we're not dead. We go in an instant to be with you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God, we look forward to that day that we can comfort one another with those words. Speak to us today, Lord, in your word and teach us what you have for this time in our lives and how we can embrace it and treasure it more than we ever have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Life, the world is obsessed with living. Why? Because everybody's scared of dying, except for us. Life comes to an end. They're obsessed with life, and, and, and they, they try as hard as they can to extend lives and to make it so people can live as long as possible. In fact, I don't know if you guys caught this, but just two days ago, a couple days ago, the oldest living person in the world just died. Emma Moreno, an Italian woman, believed to have been the oldest person alive and the last survivor of the 19th century, died Saturday at the age of 117. Italian media reported Moreno, born on November 29th, my birthday is the 28th, if you guys wanted to know, born on November 29th, 1899, died at her home in Verbania in northern Italy, the report said. Moreno's death at the age of 117 years and 137 days means that there is no one living known to have been born before 1900. She was the last one. She said, I eat two eggs daily and that's it, and cookies, but I do not eat much because I have no teeth. You can quote that if you want. She said, in her, she said in her home at the time uh, where the Guinness World Record Certificate declared her to be the oldest person alive, held pride of place on a marble top chest of drawers. 117 years old, and you guys gasped. Think about eternity. I ran across this article a couple months ago, tucked it away for this morning. Listen to this. Scientists say it's possible to live up to a thousand years. Well, we already knew that. (laughs) In the beginning of the Bible, there's a bunch of people who lived over a thousand years. Come on, science. Just kidding, you know. But scientists are now saying that it's possible to live a thousand years. Aubrey de Grey, Cambridge University geneticist, believes that anyone under the age of 40 has the potential to live for a thousand years. That's the cutoff. Sorry, guys, if you're over 40. There are many people who desire for immortality, including numerous geneticists, nanotech experts, doctors, and scientists. It is theoretically possible to slow down or even stop the aging process. 
According to scientists and a goal we according to scientists and a goal we can hope to attain in order to benefit those who are alive today. Now that sounds a bit science fiction to me. But geneticists are literally working right now on slowing the aging process. And I don't know about you guys, but that kind of sounds like a modern day Tower of Babel, you know? How, how high can we build this tower? How long can we get ourselves to hang on, hang in there? Think of the problems associated with, with being 990 years old or 500 years old. I'm 35 and I got problems, mental and physical. Could you imagine dealing with those for another 500 years? I don't know if my wife could. So even if it was pushed a little bit longer, the intention, the desire, the passion of mankind is to live longer. But we have the secret, and it shouldn't be a secret. We have the key to offer others that you don't have to look forward to living long later. You can start living long today. That's what a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is. It's life. It's life, and it's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ represents for us. Let's turn to John chapter 20 and read through the account. 20 verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. First of all, we have this dedication to the Lord even after his death. Sometimes there's expectations that we have in the Lord that die. We think we want him to do something for us and those things don't come to pass. But then if you follow me, what happens is if we continue to follow him, the things that we thought we needed help with or we wanted to work out, he resurrects and uses for even greater. Look at she is responding to him. She's going to the tomb. What does the tomb symbolize? Death. Death. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. So they're running. One of the disciples is faster than Peter. That's how I would probably address it too. You know, like we go and have competitions. You know, I'm not going to say who won, but you guys all know who won at bowling and golf. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not very competitive. I'm just good at what I do, which is everything. I'm just kidding. That's, That's terrible. It was a joke though, seriously. So he beats him. He gets to the tomb first, but it says he doesn't go in. That's because in Jewish culture, there was not only a reverence, but, but a, a law stipulating that you could not go inside of a tomb. If you were in the vicinity of a dead body, you touched a dead body, you get too close to it, or you go inside the tomb, you would be ceremonially unclean 
And you could not worship the Lord while you were in that state of uncleanness. So this fast disciple, he gets there first, but, but his, uh, his heritage, what, his, his culture has, has prohibited him from going in. But Peter was the same kind of guy. Peter was a part of the same culture. What does he do? He busts right in. We start to see some of the passion in Peter's life that starts to come out. Not, you know, not too long before he denied the Lord three times publicly. But now there's already a process. There's already something that God is starting to do in Peter's heart. I think it goes back to that resurrection thing. Peter expected other things of Jesus. In fact, this Sunday we're going to look at Jesus, uh, Peter rebuking Jesus, and then Jesus rebuking Peter. Peter saying, no, you're not going to go and die. And he said, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. What are the things of men? Life. Death. Maintaining that. Extending it. Elongating it. But now Peter had an expectation in the Lord that was not meant, yet that expectation and understanding of who Jesus is is going to be resurrected very soon. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. You know, Jesus had told them, he had told them many times over and over and over again that it was necessary for him to be uh, crucified, buried, and that he was going to raise again. But they were so far outside of what Jesus' intentions were for them that they were blind. They didn't understand it. And if I can make the correlation again for us, Don't put your hope in your own expectations. You know, another word uh, for expectation is hope. What is our hope in? If our hope is in the Lord and our hope is in the life that he's given us, then we can be satisfied. If it's in anything else, it's false, it's empty, and it's never going to last. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she wept. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Again, another response a passionate response from an individual who had wholly given themselves over to Jesus. Didn't understand really the implications of what it meant for him to be the Messiah. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This is an incredible part of the story, and it's recorded in each one of the Gospels because it's important to see something here, okay? Jesus is not a respecter of persons. Jesus doesn't take people in their status and relate to them or reveal himself to them because they're somebody. He's not a respecter of persons. Who's the first person in the Bible after the resurrection Jesus reveals himself to? Mary, a woman who at that time in that culture would be unheard of. Wasn't it, you know, Peter, James, and John who saw the transfiguration of Jesus on the mount? Wouldn't it be Peter that he would reveal? Wouldn't it be John that he would reveal himself to first? Why Mary? This is why, and take note, because it's still true for today, those who seek the Lord with all of their heart always find him. Now, I don't know exactly what happened. I don't want to imply anything, but it seems to me, to this point, all the men had given up. Bunch of little sissy baby wawas. They're back at the house crying, Jesus, who wasn't who we thought he was. But it's Mary and some of the other women who are active in their faith, even to the point where she says, Gardener, show me where you took him so I can go retrieve him and put him back where he's supposed to be. Now, if I've said this once, I've said it a thousand times, and I want you guys to hear it this morning and and take it seriously. Write it down. If you seek the Lord, he will be found by you. He will reveal himself to you. He does it all the time. He doesn't force anybody to know who he is. He doesn't impose himself on anyone. If you cry out to God and say, I want to know who you are, and you seek him, even diligently, he'll show you. He'll reveal himself to you. Here I am. Here I am. And then it's at that point, as we seek the Lord, and he reveals himself to us, that we partake in, on a regular basis, in that abundant life that he wants us to have. Now, this isn't meant as a guilt trip, okay? So don't raise your hand, just do it in your head. How many of you are tired right now? How many of you are struggling right now? How many of you are bearing burdens that you don't want to bear. I want you to know something this morning. Jesus doesn't want you to bear those burdens either. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He restores our soul. He heals us. So if you are feeling that way, and it's different seasons at different times in different circumstances, but if you are feeling that way, it's time to seek the Lord. Even in that expectation that you had for Him, go to the tomb where your hopes are buried. Grace has a favorite quote from one of those classic novels. I forgot which one it is, but every time something starts to mess up our plans, especially when we plan stuff out, which isn't too often, but when we do, and it starts to come unraveled, she has this thing she says to me, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Oh, wait, that's in the Bible, huh? Yeah, 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick. A timeless truth. That was the Bible quote that I say. She says, my life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. That's the one I was thinking of. My life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. She's just being dramatic. She doesn't really feel like that. And I scold her. Say, get behind me. The Lord has the best for us. Life. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, no, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. For Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained." I think that a big part of our lives as Christians and studying the Bible is that we don't go through ritualistic services like Christmas, Easter, etc. We don't go through a, a set schedule of things because of traditionalism, because it makes us feel holy, because we did certain things, we observe parts of Lent. I don't observe those kind of things and I don't give myself to those kinds of traditions because it, for me personally, there's a dumbing down of uh, what God really has to speak to me in that season. Like for right now, Lord, what do you want for us right now? And if we were to ask that question today and apply it to our church, I would say emphatically, life, especially now, all this baloney going on all over the world, macho guys flexing their muscles, life. We have life. And he wants us to live in that life today, to experience what knowing him is, which is eternal life, and continue walking forward in that life. I know that God has a special purpose as corny and Christianese as it sounds, I know that God has a special purpose for my life. He made me unique and he, he had a plan set in motion. And there's times when I feel super in tune with that plan. And there's times when I don't feel so in tune. And then I need to seek the Lord. Lord, what's going on right now? But if we walk away from this service today without any application, then what benefit was it to going to an Easter service? We got to talk about Easter and the resurrection. Woohoo! No, it's, it's to take the application of what the Lord has for us life. And if he has something special and has had for me, then he definitely does for you because you guys are way better than I am. He has something special for each and every one of you. The question is, do you want it? Do you want it enough to pursue him, to receive it? Do you want it enough to address things in your life that need to be addressed? 
Speaking of life, the Lord reminded me, it was about a month or so ago, I, I mentioned this in one of our Sunday morning Bible studies, but thinking of this, you know, life and the resurrection and what that all encompasses, uh, the Lord reminded me that he saved my life, uh, the big saved the life generally, right? But he also specifically saved my life three times when, when I should be dead right now. I should not be here. I should literally be dead. Those three times, I'll tell you very quickly, are, are, are not coincidental that I made it out alive, okay? I was eight months old, sitting on my grandmother's lap in the front seat of our sedan. My mom was driving from Indian Springs when they lived out in Indian Springs into Las Vegas, She lost control of the car, flipped out into the desert multiple times off the road. I was supposed to be dead. You ever heard of an eight-month-old kid sitting on somebody's lap who's not buckled in, surviving something like that? I've heard different variations of the story. My leg has a scar from my pinky toe, the whole bottom of my foot, all the way up to here still, of all the flesh and muscle that was ripped off by the glass when the car was rolling. The the paramedic told my mom, this kid should not be alive. He should be dead. So it's at that time that she said, from now on, God spared my son's life. I am dedicating his life to the Lord. That was the first time. The second time, I'm a teenager, right? (laughs) Teenagers. Oh, boy. I love you guys. I was a teenager and I had a a sand rail. You guys know what a sand rail is? An off-road buggy specifically made for the sand. We go out to Dumont all the time. And my sand rail, I got a really good deal on. You know why? (laughs) Because it didn't have any top. Your head was just kind of poking out there, you know? Hey. And we were at Dumont. I was in my car. I just got it all tuned up and running. And I was screaming all over the dunes, beating everyone. Just winning. And my buddy had a broken leg, and he said, hey, can I come? And I said, sure. So he jumped in. He's got a cast up to his hip. He's got his leg out the side of my car, and we're going up and down dunes. We go up to one of the tallest dunes back behind uh, uh, Competition Hill, and we get up to the top, and he says, hey, hey, stop. Let me out. I'm losing the blood circulation. I can't feel my leg anymore. I said, okay, get out. So he got out, and I started to go down, and about a quarter of the way down, I hit some whoops, lost control, and rolled my buggy all the way down to the bottom of the hill. The day that we left, one of my very good friends who actually died out at Dumont in his sand rail, as we were getting ready to pull out to go for that weekend, he said, Tim, you can't be driving that thing out there without a roll cage. You're going to kill yourself. I said, well, what do you want me to do? You know, I don't have the bars. He said, I got some extra bars in my garage. We went in and quickly welded it on the last thing that we did before we left. I had a roll cage because my friend made me, the two of us, weld it on before we went on that trip. I was already leaving. I was already there. And if that thing rolled without the top, I would be dead. I'd be dead. And then the third story I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I was living in Pahrump, driving into Las Vegas, and I would work until like three or four in the afternoon doing construction with my dad, actually. And, 
And then I would drive to Prump, and I'd stay up with my friends until like, you know, 12 or 1 or 2 in the morning. And then I woke up at 3.30 to go to work. And this was pretty regular. I would do this pretty regularly to hang out with my friends. And one morning coming down uh, over the mountain, you know, right where that big sweep is, I fell asleep, totally out, fell asleep. Cruise control set to 75 miles an hour. And I hear faintly in the distance some kind of beep, 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 you know, and I'm like, what is that? Open my eyes, and there's a, a, a large cargo van coming towards me. I'm in his lane about 40 feet away. I swerved back into my lane, didn't overcorrect, barely made it, peed my pants. Just kidding, I didn't do that. I was, I did, okay. A little, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. Pulled over on the side of the road and almost had a heart attack. And if I did not open my, if there wasn't something that, that helped me regain consciousness, you know how many people die on that road? It's one of the deadliest roads. One second, two seconds, head-on collision at 75 miles an hour sleeping, I'd be dead. And through each thing that the Lord brought me through in my life, he kept telling me, I love you, Tim. I have a plan for you. I have a future for you. Stop giving up. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Just trust me. And for many of you, I believe it's the same. You can recount back to things in your life where you know that God told you that he had a special purpose for your life and that he was going to do special things with you because you're a special person. And then something happens and you get off track or you get frustrated or your expectations aren't met and you get mad and then you kind of drift into the other lane, drift away. I don't know if there's anybody here this morning that is in that place, but I want to implore you what he wants for you is life and life abundantly. He doesn't want you struggling. Whatever your struggle is, you can have confidence by by laying down your life to him, you'll gain it. And that whatever's happening, as cliche as it can be, He's going to use it for your betterment to bless you. And not just to bless you as a person personally, but to bless you to be able to bless others. Isn't that what life is? You ever heard the term, oh, he's so full of life. She's so full of life. Lord, that's my prayer. I want to be so full of life that people are like, he's so full of life. And I'm like, yeah, and you can have life too. Jesus conquered death. Death could not hold him. He was resurrected. And in that resurrection, it wasn't just him receiving eternal life. He was the forerunner, the firstborn from the dead to offer it to us as well. And it doesn't doesn't end at the day you close your eyes and breathe your last breath. It, It starts the day that you want to surrender your heart and your life to God and receive Jesus as your personal Savior. 
Let's pray. God, sometimes there's things in life that catch our attention and uh, make us depressed or worried or frustrated with the way things have been going for us. But we forget too quickly that whatever the case may be, whatever's happening, that you, you've given us the, the ultimate gift. You've given us life. And if everything else is going wrong, if everything else seems to be falling apart, the constant that we have, the one thing that you've blessed each and every one of us with is breath and life. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for desiring us to know who you are, that you're not a distant God, that you're not doing your own thing. You didn't get the, get the top spinning and then step away, but you're involved, you're intimate. You love us. And just like we saw with Mary, you reveal yourself to those who seek you where you can be found. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for today, for this day, what it means. Help us to reflect on it the rest of the day and to enjoy life with our friends and families. In Jesus' name.